Video Junkyard Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is Eric Branson, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Peterson. Hey, everybody. Uh, we have a very special, very uh, long-awaited, for, for us especially, um, oh, yeah. show for you this evening. Um, we've been talking about this thing since, I believe, our debut episode, when we first teased that yeah. coming, you know, in the... Um, but anyway, our first um, series-based show that we're going to do on... I guess I'm revealing it now, but yeah. on the Phantasm series, since we teased it last week, it's not like a big secret or anything, but... Um, you know, I think this is another one where, I think when you and I were talking about doing a podcast, this was one of the first ideas of a potential episode. Yes, I think this for is sure. one of the first things, like, oh, you know, we could do a podcast, we could do things like review the Phantasm movies, and here we are. Yeah, and I think, like, right right off the bat, we were like, well, Phantasm is one we have to get to, just because I know it's a favorite film that we both yeah, share. It's a, it's a and, cult uh, series. And, yeah. yeah, and and I think it grew into, well, we should review all of them. Because right around the time we were starting the show is actually when I picked up the DVD set mm-hmm. of all um, five of the movies and actually finished off watching. I Believe it or not, I have just only seen Phantasm 3, 4, and 5 recently. Um, I have gone back and rewatched. Uh, four and part of five for in preparation for this podcast, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, those were brand new watches for me just uh, recently, probably since we've been doing the podcast. Phantasm and Phantasm mm-hmm. 2 I've seen um, a good number of times now, but um, I believe your history and um, it's much more, uh, it's a little deeper than mine with this film, but... Yeah, and I think this is a good time to introduce our special guest for Absolutely. this episode. So this is the person that actually introduced both of us to this franchise. You know, like, I think it was you know, we had Dan Eaton on here talking about introducing both of us to Buckaroo Banzai, but this one, no offense, Dan, this is kind of a bigger thing, especially in my house, because the person who introduced <laughs> this awesome franchise to me is my wife, Sarah Peterson. Hey, Sarah, say hi. Hello. Oh, yeah, and this is also her first hi, time Sarah. on the podcast, so she's... <laughs> She's she's happy to be here, aren't you? Super excited. Super, yes. <laughs> but How's it going? I'm I'm doing well. Doing well. Good. So I think it's one of the cool things though about this uh, doing an episode like this is because I mean yeah you said you got that that uh, the five disc box set I think I got it around the same time and that was the summer and Sarah you and I have actually been working through reviewing all five we'd seen them all before but I don't think we'd seen them in order. No, I no, we have not seen them in order. And I remember it was maybe like a couple years ago mm-hmm. we watched five. Yeah. And and yeah, we had some. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that too because we had some really interesting opinions about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uh, it's kind of changed. I think when you watch the entire thing in sequence, you you start to see a little bit more of of what some of the uh, kind of the nuances of the entire series. Yeah. Well, and I think it, when you watch any series in sequence, you kind of get, especially something that does have a bit of, I, I think a lot of the 80s horror 
um, franchise series that went on for you know more than just a couple movies um, tend to kind of lose their narrative threads or aren't, aren't really connected to one another. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street kind of kept a little bit of a, a storyline going through, but these it's very strong. I mean, these movies are pretty much picking up right one after the other. Um, I mean, depending later on in the series whether what timeline you're really following, but um, there is definitely a strong sense of continuity throughout them. So it is a, it's a different kind of uh, it's a different kind of thing than if you were to sit down and like yeah. go through all the Friday the Thirteenth films or whatever. You know, um, there's not a whole lot of continuity between those. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking also like Hellraiser, where they tried bringing back some of like the bigger characters at some point too. But I can't think of anything else. I mean, nothing that's every single you know episode or every single you know film actually is the next step, rather than skipping over and bringing some. Can you think of anything else? Not really. No. That comes to mind. This yeah, is... I can't even think of anything else that like has the same like solid cast like this keeps. With, with the exception of, you know, replacing Mike in part two, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's an interesting um, story behind that, but actually I think would be kind of cool for... So uh, Eric and I both admitted that we're, we were first exposed to this. I mean, I think I had seen the, the, the videotape box at our local video store for part two when I was growing up. Yep, I could remember seeing that in the video store, just the, the imagery of what, the cover of Phantasm the, 2. The ball was back. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when, it was the same for me. I think the actually the first fan, one of the phantasm movies i saw was two and it was in my video store and i picked it up and it just freaked me out it's one of those few movies that i can say literally shaped how i nightmare even to this day <laughs> <laughs> it's the, it's it's just that that quintessence like you're the hunter stuck in this this enemy you can't kill i mean even still when you think about and i don't mean to ruin it for anyone what do you do i don't think you there's nothing it's, no it's it's, it's it's and especially with the fact that the what the villain and, and we'll get into that here in a mm-hmm. moment but what the villain is this kind of it's almost like the, the classic zombie, those Romero zombie films where it's like a slow creep around your heroes, right? And they're just getting, it's only a matter of time. And this character and his minions and so on, they do that with towns, and you're the person who knows. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can really do about it, but you're going to keep trying. I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could see that working, especially into nightmares. Right. But then yeah. I, and it's funny though, because when I saw this as a kid, because it wasn't one of the well-known franchises. Like, as a kid, everyone knew was Freddy. Everyone right. knows Jason. Uh, who do you talk to about the tall man? <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's, I had, well, like that guy down the street. He's cool. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I he's saw He's such a video. great character. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's an icon that belongs in the list that you were just making, though. I mean, I think he is... Once you see any of these films, but especially the first couple of Phantasm movies, he's just such a presence, and I think that hit stays with you. Um, obviously, Angus Scrim, um, the actor who played the tall man, is probably gets a lot of credit for that. I know he put a lot of uh, thought into the character and helped Don Coscarelli to develop the character as well. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that that's... But yeah, he's totally up there with Robert Englund and with Kane Hodder and all these other actors that are icons for playing horror characters. Right. I mean, he's surely... He, he might even be my favorite of all of those. Right up there with Freddy Krueger, for sure. 
Well, and I think it's funny, too, because, Sarah, long ago, you and I came up with a list of celebrities you could see on the street, and it would automatically be a bad omen, like, you get the fuck out of there. Oh, yeah. You know, so, like, Donald Pleasance. If you just happen to see Donald Pleasance, you'd be like, shit, no good will come of this, even (laughs) if it's just him, like, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I think Angus Scrum was, like, at the top of yours. He's, like, number one for me. (laughs) What's funny is, supposedly, he was was such a a kind and, uh, like, wonderful person to work with. Like, no one has a bad word to say about him. I mean, very similar to Robert Englund, I think. But mm-hmm. I yeah. bet he turned it on completely, like when he was Jebediah Morningside and offering lemonade. But I'm just like, yeah. nope, I just can't do but it. But yeah, in context of the movie, that's even kind of more creepy. I think that. <laughs> well, and and you know, it's as a as a villain too. He's not, you know, he he does some kind of things that you know they did in the Nightmare on Elm Street with the shape changing and you know his face appears. Especially in part two, they really kind of ramped that stuff up, mm-hmm. but. Um, really, he's just a menacing presence, you know, with very facial, a lot of, like, you know, over-the-top facial expressions, and doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but it's just, like, big, menacing, creepy. And his movements so (laughs) exaggerated, and and the way he, like, uses his arms, and the... it's, yeah, I think, it's a great character. And I think the haircut contributes, too. I oh, mean, yeah. That's, that's scary <laughs> as shit. <laughs> Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? Phantasm. Is it an illusion? Whatever it is, If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. Phantasm. But I think, why don't we, um, Eric, why don't you, you kind of walk us through what can introduce everybody to what, uh, I guess, we'll we start with the first movie. There's five, and I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time on each one, just kind of look at this overall, but kind of introduce us to the first one. Um, Phantasm is, let me actually get you an official... Uh, and this will be a real short, like, back-of-the-video-box-type synopsis, but we'll see how accurate these are. They're usually pretty awful. But a teenage boy and his friends face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as the Tall Man, who keeps a lethal arsenal of terrible weapons with him. That just sounds like he's got, like, a trunk full of, yeah. you know. <laughs> he's got, like, an Uzi and a Tech 9 yeah. and an AR. Yeah. Um, yeah, not a great synopsis. So, the first part is true. A teenage boy and his brother and his brother's friend, Reggie, uh, the ice cream man, <laughs> uh, face off against, yeah, a mysterious grave robber. Um, so, let us let me first start with, I guess, my kind of history with this film. And my history with this film, as Joe pointed out, was when Sarah insisted we had to sit down and watch Phantasm, because I think in a conversation um, at one point when we were hanging out, when we were all in college at, at Southern and Carbondale, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, um, mm-hmm. I had mentioned that I had not seen this movie and got the, oh shit, you haven't seen this movie? You gotta see this movie, which I, I thank you um, forever <laughs> for, because it's, it's become one of my favorites, for sure. And uh, What is your history with it, Joe? And actually, let's start with you, Sarah. You, you're, you've seen or you got interested in this as a child so you had definitely have more history than we do yeah i just pretty much um i saw i don't even think i saw in a video store i think i caught i can't even remember which one because i was so i was a kid Mm -hmm. um and it may have even been the third one i mean memory's just phasey and it was on um cinemax Mm -hmm. (laughs) the station so watching that not supposed to 
And <laughs> I'm pretty sure... The, my first memory is the one with the little boy, and I believe that's the third one. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, yeah, yeah, it totally freaked me out. And I know you guys haven't gone through that one, but the whole plot of that... Went back to the video store, saw the first and second one, but I grabbed the second one because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really have that, I have to watch the first one first, just grab the ne next one that was available. Really? And I, I think I was. But I'm that's... sure you were. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, I mean, I was just immediately hooked. I watched them over and over because I just didn't get it. And I, I mean, mm -hmm. even still to this day, yeah. I'm watching say, and it can't get, I don't even get, I don't even think I can get all of it. But it just really just scared me. And, you know, because you have like a kid in the first one, he looked like another kid. And he's going right. through all this, with the tall man and, oh gosh, just emotions. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, you know, it's interesting too that, you know, if you're scared of Michael Myers, well, just keep. You're, don't don't babysit, right? If you're scared of, of Jason Voorhees, don't go camping. If you're scared of Freddy Krueger, well, there's coffee, right? Mm -hmm. But, or get off of Elm Street. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this taps into something that's even a little, like, something that I definitely was creeped out a little bit by as a kid, and that's just kind of the, in, especially in this country, but kind of the cult we build around death. And, like, so there's this whole just the whole thing about cemeteries and mortuaries and people that are undertakers and the whole thing's a little creepy and i, I don't know if any other horror movie had really kind of tapped into that no i'm I sure totally it's been done at some you. point but like they're yeah just the the use of the the um crypt or the mortuary in it um the long hallway is kind of the sterile atmosphere of it it's just I, the whole atmosphere of it's creepy and the way they use the cemetery and the way they use the big you know ominous house and, <laughs> well, um, and then the tall man himself playing yeah. a like creepy undertaker type character and yeah and you even think about like the funerals that they are having in the movie people are burying their nearest and dearest mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like jody loses his parents and it just goes on from there another lady she's like you know all my grandma husbands and wives and it's just creepy well, but and the film kind of starts ugh. with um a friend of Joe. So, so Mike is the main character. He's our the kid that you're talking about, and mm -hmm. um, in the first film, yeah. And it, being that even though it's an R-rated and, and a very at points frightening horror film, having Mike be the main character of the movie kind of gives it a little bit of a like goosebumps kind of are you afraid of the dark feeling like towards the mm -hmm. beginning of the film that fades out when the atmosphere you know when it really kicks in and the um, you get your little, you know, zombie Jawas and uh, all the yes. um, wonderful, like... The lurkers. Um, <laughs> it's... Well, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it even it opens kinda, up, like, with it, he sees him carrying the casket. And, like, that could easily be, like, an art, like, like an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Like, I saw something creepy in the cemetery, but it wasn't right. too creepy. And, it, and then it gets That's, well, like, gets pretty much exactly how it starts. Well, it gets casket but, and yeah. he just throws it in the back of the hearse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's like, because he's creeping around the cemetery. And yeah, it's, and it's because it's a friend of theirs that dies first. He's yeah, so a friend of his his older brother is Jody, and Jody's mm -hmm. good friend Reggie, who is an ice cream man right. for who knows what reason in the script, and um, <laughs> it uh, it it starts off with one of Jody's friends is is mysteriously murdered or uh, turns up dead, and Mike's curiosity kind of starts to uncover that something strange is going on in the cemetery, and yeah, so very. 
hate saying goosebumps because that makes it that makes it into something totally different that it's not phantasm's definitely a very different kind of film but yeah it's it, it seems like a very pg-13 horror film uh from from the setup but escalates quickly into kind of like this fever dream of <laughs> like mad i don't know there's nothing there's not a film uh, in this era or maybe even since that is like this movie there's something kind of art house about it because it's so hard to kind of put together narratively and it doesn't spend any time trying to like explain itself to you or give you long diatribes about what exactly is going on it just kind of presents you with all of these images and i think that actually makes it so much creepier than a lot of other films like you could have done if you did this film totally straightforward and in the first phantasm film you just laid out all this like Oh, it's interdimensional, da 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 da, and you know, gave it some dialogue to try and explain away yeah. what exactly is going on. I think that would seriously hurt this movie. Yeah, and I think even some of the, and not to criticize it, but you can tell that this is a, a lower budget film. You can tell this is Coscarelli is one of his first things, if not the first thing he ever did. Um, he had done two features prior to this, I believe. Okay. Um, the one just prior to this was a. A family film called Kenny and Company about a group of young kids, and it actually has some very similar scenes to Phantasm, and stars um, a Michael Baldwin oh. as well. And oh. is one of the uh, yep, in the ensemble cast. So, hmm. um, a pretty decent movie. And his first film is called Jim, the World's Greatest. It actually is like kind of a family drama as well, and was also not a bad flick. They're both even lower budget and kind of homemade mm-hmm. type. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is this has kind of a homemade feel to it, you know, in it a does, way. Yeah. I mean, especially the scene at the funeral when when uh, Jody and Reggie are kind of standing around the funeral and the dive. You could, it almost feels like you know, somebody wrote this. It, you know, it, it doesn't well, feel as organic. But that's that's kind of typical of some movies at the time. I think what really struck me about it is if you just happen to catch a few moments of random dialogue in this movie, you'd probably brush it aside as just uh, some cheesy low budget whatever but looking at what the story is it's incredibly cerebral it's mm-hmm. really fucking weird well, um, i think the, it the is, movie is, itself is, plays like somebody's yeah. bizarre kind of nightmare so <laughs> like it, there is it was, it was. Out, it's like, a yeah. lot of people's nightmare well yeah <laughs> well and i think it was it started out as a nightmare that coscarelli had that he was running through a mausoleum getting chased by a ball with a needle on it Yep. Like floating. Cereal? I know he said that the yeah. ball he... was something he had dreamt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, like he said, he dreamt like some big machine that was spitting these things out or something like that. And then even the little, because I saw like a, a making of thing where he was talking about where he got ideas for certain random mm-hmm. things, like the the finger in the box. He was sitting mm-hmm. there with a styrofoam coffee cup one day that was empty, and he accidentally poked his finger through the bottom, and he looked in, he was like, ugh, it kind of looks like a severed finger. Well, if anything's going to convince somebody that something's up. <laughs> it's going to be a severed finger in a box. <laughs> if anything's going to convince you you should make that movie of the weird dream you had, then it's going to be an image of your severed finger in a cup. So it kind of, I see the parallel. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, I could see, I think it's that juxtaposition of this is a really big idea of a story mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. being done with with some real passion they didn't have a huge budget they didn't have a-list actors but they're like fuck it we need I mean, this yeah, it was pretty much a family affair and and so much the fact that i think don coscarelli's dad put up the money for the film um or at least helped put up some of the money for the film the actors and and characters were or the characters were written for the actors 
who were all personal friends of Don's, like um, Michael Baldwin being mm-hmm. someone he had worked with in the past, Reggie Bannister just being an actual like personal friend of his who they had worked on the prior two films together. I don't think I'm not don't remember if uh, Reggie's in them or not, but um, so he literally just wrote him into the script. Reggie is based on Reggie, and they even named him Reggie in the script. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, and, uh, and a Michael Baldwin is Mike, and you know, yep, yep. So you can you can kind of tell that it yeah these guys were friends you know and it played a role and I think that's how a lot of you know films start filmmakers start mm-hmm. is like let's make a movie with people I know because then I don't have to pay actors. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, I um, think what it what it just what is so wonderful about it is just the extreme amounts of ambition and also the the lack of any like Hollywood shine. And because a movie like this never would have been made in Hollywood, this script would look totally different in a Hollywood movie. Well, we were he's even a, talking he's able about, to... about it being made, remade today. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't. Which has been talked about. I don't know how you could. I mean, it it would like well, I think like a lot of horror films that that come out today is you know they're they're all um, you know they the way that they use their you know the ways they use smartphones and modern technology and stuff but it really does make a big difference in how you're telling the story and I think mm-hmm. something about this especially the later sequels when you're dealing with you know remote areas in the desert you know I don't know how well it would work and plus this is also you know we have we have post-apocalyptic movies left and right now so well I think that would yep. maybe if they did consider it that would have to be the charm is mm-hmm. that you would have to have it back in the 70s yeah you know if That's you were idea. to remake a movie like that but then how do you really, I mean, I, I can't even explain it. And I've seen each one of yeah. these like, a couple of times. I just times. don't think that that magic would be there. And I don't think that, you know, in, in a big budget, like studio movie, I just don't think they would let it play the way it plays. And they'd have to, they'd have to over explain everything and they'd add other characters in to help, you know, mm-hmm. um, give you a sense of what exactly what's going on. Cause you know, the general audience doesn't like to be confused. I don't, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm I, not saying the movie's confusing. It's it's actually not confusing. It's hard to wrap your head around exactly like, like if someone were to say to you, you know, like, oh, I liked that movie. The tall man was creepy, but what's the deal with him? You know, what what where's he from? What is he? And just based on the context of Phantasm, you have no idea. Right. <laughs> There's nothing that gives you a hint really at all. You see some like crazy images of you know, through the the, the tuning forks or through the dimensional forks this just like crazy otherworldly place where they're dragging these you know corpses and barrels off into the distance and that's that's pretty much the only kind of close to answer you get for what the big picture of what's going on is but i think it's got endearing characters i love the fact that what you know the this this tense scenes in it are very like it just invoke nightmare so well like it's yeah. uh, um and and it's honestly and i get don't get me wrong i actually enjoy the sequels um to this quite a bit yeah but it's what they never really got back to again um it's well, you, you, phantasm 2 is a very different approach it, and, it is and three it as is. well yeah. and then they tried yeah. to get back there a little bit with four but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it but yeah I think, well, I think it well, just I kind think of actually and... since you, you mentioned part two i think that's an interesting thing is before we're saying imagine a, a big budget version of phantasm mm-hmm. and really that's what mm-hmm. they were trying to do for 10 years the secret of Perigord Cemetery has remained a mystery. Now, three innocent people are about to discover the ultimate evil. You think that when you die, you go to heaven? 
You come to us. Phantasm 2. It's only a dream. It's a dream. No, it's not. Was it Universal, I believe? Yep, Universal. Universal Pictures got their hands on that one in 1988 is when that one came out. And Almost a decade after the original film. Yeah, that's another thing I was going to bring up was how space... Actually, exactly are, a decade. It was almost yeah. the 10th anniversary of the film when it came out. So. Oh. But, you know, they, they tried to... From what I've read, you know, they, they were like, hey, we, you know, Phantasm, the 79 film, has become this, has this cult following, but there's the demand for another one. Coscarelli wants to do it. Let's, let's get it. And so they got the rights, and he had a much bigger budget. The production quality is considerably better. You can tell it's done by a major studio. Mm-hmm. I guess the problem is, though, with budget, they told him that you can't bring back everybody. You yeah. can, we definitely want Angus Scrim, but you can only pick then Mike. Or Reggie. So I think it's a combination. I think what happened is if in order to avoid having to pay a fee for having a non-union actor, right? They can only afford. Well, they're only going to give him a budget for one. Yeah, maybe that's the and case. It was, the it was you want Michael or do you want Reggie? And for whatever reason, they went with Reggie. I can only assume, and this is just a guess, is that since it had been ten years, and they were the, the movie picks up immediately after the next one, mm-hmm. and then it kind of goes into was it like seven years later or something like that, that they could get away with having an older actor play Mike grown up. Mm -hmm. While Reggie would be kind of hard to replace since he was already an adult in the first movie. I I just have to wonder. It could be that, but I also have to wonder if Cascarelli also had like a vision for like the future films because you can clearly tell that they're very, they very evolve from Reggie's point of view. Yeah. Like in the later films, he's... Hunting the he's, tall he's man. He's the focus. Yeah, and he's looking for Mike, and that's like the driver mm-hmm. for the following films. That's a good point. Reggie Bannister brings a certain kind of charisma to his role. He's a very memorable character. Like Reggie yeah. is, uh, oh, totally. Reggie becomes the star of this series. I don't know if you knew that when you know when rolling into part two, because mm-hmm. he's not really the star of the first one. But um, I think maybe Don Coscarelli felt that that. You know the the character that Reggie had created is something that we they just couldn't be without him. And that's kind of when, a fun thing to see in any kind of a franchise or a TV show. And I think the only time I've ever seen, and I could be, I'm sure there's maybe other examples, but the only one that comes to mind where a series or a TV show where it starts out with a focus on one character and then another becomes so popular the focus shifts is The Simpsons. Because when it first came yeah. out, everything was Bart, and then mm-hmm. people got tired of the naughty kids. They're like, "Oh, the dumb dad's fun." Reggie's definitely got his lines and the picking up girls and so stuff they, yeah. that wouldn't go. So, so you think they kind of pushed him forth, or this, that people are naturally going to be attracted to want more of the comic relief, so they just brought that more forward? Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. possibly. Yeah. But I just think that it's very similar when you start getting into those. I mean, into that kind of character development, especially since they I, definitely moved towards focusing on Reggie. Right. Yeah, and I think Reggie in these films kind of plays a bit of an, like, everyman action hero. So, like, he's kind of accidentally the the heroic character of these movies. And he's always kind of balancing on the edge of, is he, is he really this, like, you know, kick-ass hero? Of, or is he kind of actually a little bit of a loser? <laughs> like, or, I, you know, like, <laughs> uh, especially the way he acts with girls, it's really... Um, well, especially in modern context, he's kind of creepy, and uh, he. <laughs> well, that's what we were talking about with the remake. Like, yeah, that would have to be back then because a mm-hmm. lot of those lines and moves won't fly today. Yeah, 
so I guess the thing that I always really, really loved about Phantasm 2 is that it kind of intentionally did a U-turn, took a different direction. Like, okay, we can't make a movie just like Phantasm, because that's not going to fly with Universal, and also we don't want to repeat ourselves. So we're going to make this kind of totally different... Yeah, it's, it's it's an action movie. It's a road buddy comedy in in parts. It is, um, it's a chase movie. It's uh, just kind of everything totally different. But it still invokes kind of some of the same imagery and some of the same like nightmarish feeling at times. So it's certainly connected, and obviously the the characters and such make it connected. But it it never feels outside of the universe. But it's really a totally different movie. It really is, and in fact, I think this is kind of when they start playing around with how far do we want to go down this bizarre rabbit hole as far as storytelling goes. Um, so, you know, if, if you think about the first movie, I mean, I've seen it a dozen times. You've probably seen it more. Um, it's Yeah, really... and honestly, to be 100% honest, I think I've only seen even Phantasm, which I've seen the most times. I think I've only probably seen four or five times at this point mm-hmm. so i need to just sit down and watch it 10 more times i like it that much so <laughs> but, uh well, phantasm 2 i like a lot too yeah but i was gonna say like it's uh I, i'm a little surprised looking at where the franchise ends up going i'm a little bit surprised that universal even picked it up in the first place because obviously it was kind of a failed experiment right it, it didn't perform well enough for them to want to do any more sequels but right I think it's interesting that they were willing to even try because watching the first movie, you're like, this movie's cerebral as hell. This is like a really... You, you, you finish that movie not fully understanding what the hell just happened. And they decided, yeah, let, let's just do that again. Or not do that again, but let's will be the ones to continue that. Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of uh, misinterpreted a little bit of who their audience was going to be because the average film-going audience really didn't dig it. So they ended up saying, we'll and pass on doing a third one. the Phantasm fan base in general doesn't really dig this movie like it's the one with the lowest reviews it's the one that most people kind of dog on i disagree with that and we maybe sum this up at the end what we think of each one but like phantasm 2 is probably also like my second favorite phantasm movie and Mm -hmm. i think it's just because it's different but it it, it still works so well and it's funny and it feels fresh and creative and um what what i will say some of the later sequels kind of lack and that's something the original that um that is unique to this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And the yeah. third film is going to kind of carry that same torch a little bit. Uh, yeah, I would I, how do you, I mean, what do you guys think overall? I guess we'll... Or do you want to, like, run them down at the end? But, like, we all love Phantasm. I think that's that goes beyond yeah. saying we don't need to do, like, letter grades or whatever. But what are your feelings on the second the, Phantasm film? On the third or second one? Well, the, the second one. Oh, the second or both. one? Not... I, I'll be honest with you. It wasn't... I wasn't the biggest fan, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wasn't. I mean, it's not. And don't one worry, that... most most fans. P. I think are Phantasm fans. P. H. A. N. Fans. That's uh like yeah. the thing that they and and I guess there's enough of a, a cult around the film that they have a they have a title for themselves. But Phantasm <laughs> fans. P. H. A. N. Fans. Um, regard this mostly regard this from what I've read as the their everyone's least favorite or the worst Phantasm film, and I. I disagree with that. I disagree anyway. with that, but I um, well, but I can see the criticism. Oh. <laughs> 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 I mean, I I can see it's it's good. Um, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I do like how it kind of. I mean, because really, it's the it's the first sequel, right? So that's the one yeah. that's really. If you think about franchises, that whether you have multiple entries, more than just two, um, 
the, the first true sequel is really when most, I should say most of the time, when uh, a filmmaker, when a story is really starting to kind of go off the rails. Mm. Because you've already done the first movie, you've told the main story you want to tell, and now you're seeing how far you want to take it there. Yeah, I mean, I think it did everything a good sequel does, and that it, it, it gives you something new. It invokes the kind of spirit of the original, but it, it, it takes it to a new place. It ups the stakes and um, takes it to a new place. The, the recasting of Mike didn't bug me too much. Um, I feel like the character changed a little bit in the in the performance from the actor, and I'm forgetting the actor's name who played Mike in Phantasm Two is uh, James LaGrosse. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, I I feel like his performance is a little different. The character Mike's is a little is a little different, and when when uh, Michael Baldwin comes back subsequently, he brings something different back to it that feels more connected to child Mike in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, I mean. I, I like Phantasm too. It it probably is my second favorite of these movies. All of the f- sequels, unfortunately, and so often is the case, but all of the sequels fall far short of the original. But uh, this one is probably my second favorite of them. And uh, just it does really uh, bear noting that this has an incredibly... Uh, I'm not sure if I've seen one of these in a film before, but it has an incredibly good chainsaw sword fight in it. By the way, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I remember that. <laughs> um, so that's worth it just to check that out. But uh, anyway. well, and they they do the same thing in this one that they did in the in the first one, which is that we're you know not going to you know uh, we're not going to really kill off the tall man. You know, they even ended this one because they were trying to make a franchise. So of course they left it open ended too. Mm-hmm. Right, with a very um, similar type ending, yeah, no, it isn't. and a jump scare, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I feel like when when we march on to like Phantasm three, it's very much in the same vein. Which as is the my second, one. second favorite one. Is it really? <laughs> it yeah. is. For most of his life, a young man has been pursued by a sinister force. Scare you. You're already dead. Phantasm Three, coming soon. I, I like a lot of what they did with it, and I like some of the new characters. I do think it benefits from some cool new characters. Um, but go, yeah, go ahead. Uh, tell us a little bit. What, what do you think of Phantasm Three? Why is it your second favorite? Um, because I saw that one as a kid, and you literally have a little boy living in what tall man has left behind Mm. so that's what really personally like even like looking back on it that i i really like that because like when reggie comes and he comes to the house there's this little boy which is like Mm -hmm. this creepy home alone (laughs) like the the worst thing because he's got all these booby traps in the house but he has to have them because you have a group of what are they basically like Drifters, Drifters yeah. yeah, that are going through and robbing people, and he's got the house rigged where to protect himself because he's literally all alone. He's taught himself how to shoot. Um, his backstory was really interesting for that. Like his dad used to be the sheriff, but he's 
left behind and the tall man's gone and has just left his little creepy minion things to just <laughs> patrol the town. So that's what I really liked about it mm. is that you're seeing not the decline of a town necessarily where it's still kind of going on, but like here's here's the future. Like this is what he leaves behind and what's eventually going to happen to the major cities, which they touch on in the later films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I that's the one that's just near and dear to me, especially when he tells his story. You mm-hmm. know, a tall man came to my town, my dad was yeah. gone, and then the casket flipped open and the dad pulls the mom in mm-hmm. and he basically kicks his way out of the back of the hearse to get out. I was like I, I, I had terrible dreams after seeing them. <laughs> oh, wow. Like awful dreams. <laughs> and yeah, it's yeah just for me that's the one that's right there and that was one of my favorite things about it is that they did put a child protagonist back into this film it's the only other one that has a child protagonist so that feels a little bit at home this one has a lot again all the sequels seem to okay not all the sequels two and three seem to have a lot of things that are like there's a certain silliness to the phantasm universe in general but it was usually Mm -hmm. kind of a bizarre like Obviously, the like, the zombie things being like little, you know, uh, like dwarves, type dwarves, dwarves, yeah, in in robes and, and the, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was always like a little bit, a little bit on the silly side. But these, I feel like two and three have a lot more deliberate silliness, like um, arming, what's her name, Rocky, the the girl, yeah. and um, this with being, you know, using nunchucks as a primary weapon, um, the return of the quad barrel shotgun, the yes. uh, which. Yes. Up, you know throughout which i think is one of the coolest things that they <laughs> um invented but but it is a little different than like anything you 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 felt or saw in the original film um and i think like going on into four and into ravager they uh definitely try to get back to that original feeling like these two are very different Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the other three kind of have the same kind of tone. These two are very much road movies. They're very much action oriented and they're very much have a like fun kind of playful silliness about them that is missing from the other films for better or yeah. worse. I don't know. I mean, that I think you, you'll find people have different opinions about that, but yeah. And, and to be honest, I mean, I, now that you guys are talking, I know we just rewatched these recently. The more you guys are talking about it, the more I'm kind of realizing, like, yeah, I three is one that just doesn't stick with me. Four actually yeah. sticks with me more. Four, okay. Yeah, yeah, not to yeah. not to like subtly segue or anything. For twenty years, the secret of the spheres has remained a mystery. Now, two innocent people are about to confront the ultimate evil. The final game, I'll begin. The sci-fi horror with balls. Phantasm Four. Boy. And here's but what's funny about actually does it sticks with me not just because we watched it recently but even thinking back the first time you and I went through all of the Phantasm movies, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, I three gets kind of muddy with some some like I don't I couldn't tell you exactly what like the main 
advancement of the plot was in three to the whole the whole series, but four I have always remembered, especially because of the flashbacks, if we can call mm-hmm. that whatever the hell's going on with that. Uh, that's your brain but, looking to seek for answers. Yeah, it's <laughs> called four had a budget that was a quarter of the budget of the pre- prior two sequels, and Don Coscarelli had a whole lap full of deleted scenes from the first movie, so. That's what you call that. You know, and, and that's actually something I've always liked about this franchise that I meant to mention earlier, is that he had all this extra footage that they cut out, and it was perfect for flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. It really makes it coherent. None of these sequels, with the exception of two, feel out of place. I mean, the only thing is that the actors have aged, but by throwing in those flashbacks, it, it really, really helps. Yeah. And I, I feel like three is still in the same vein as two, kind of. Like and, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong and I need to revisit it. The three is the only one at this point that I've only seen once. So I should that'll be the next one I go back and check out again. I just didn't get the time. I feel like it has a lot more in common with two than it does with one, four, and five. I would I could see that. Tonal just tonally and that it's uh just kind of that it the way it's set as a we're out on it's it's very similar in that way like we're out on the road chasing the tall man and um well i think it's just cool i mean that always worked for me i like i like throughout these movies one of the things i like the most about throughout these movies is that you gradually see the world falling apart and it's always kind of in the background like no Mm -hmm. one's like you're you're not like and i'm glad we finally in part five one which i i think was a problematic movie but i do love that we finally got to the point of seeing the world overrun by the tall man and by the, by mm-hmm. the you know orbs and by or yeah whatever they're called the balls. Well, yeah, that's something Sarah you and I were talking about the other right. night. Like we were rewatching Ravager because I don't think either one of us remembered much of it for the first oh, time. Oh well, I just it. remembered yeah. my hating it. There are some schools of thought that suggest the possibility that one could be in two places at once. I can't tell what's real anymore. So I wander, following the tall man's path of destruction. One eye out for those spheres, and the other for him. You're not even real. You're my bad dream. Oh, it really is an amazing story. Epic, actually. We sat there and we rewatched it all together, you know, like we do, because mm-hmm. we knew we were going to be discussing mm-hmm. this. And I have to say, it's not as bad. It's, and I don't know, maybe it's changed. Maybe it was a mood or something. Who knows? But yeah. I, I think it unpacks it a lot of stuff about the the series. I I would agree with that, especially. Well, I mean, and we're jumping ahead, like talking about five now, but with. Reggie going in and out of the scenes and then all of a sudden, you know, there's point there's a point in the movie where he sees all of the the little bars, you know, that you use to travel through dimensions and it kinda mm-hmm. made me go, Oh again, you know what I mean? Which yeah. which yep. I kinda liked about that. You know, if you've seen it and you've seen one through four and you've you're a big fan and you've seen it a bunch of times, here's it is it did bring something new. 
Yeah. And I think here's what it did the most for me, and that was it put the rest of it all into some sort of context. Because I think prior to 5, they feel a little disjointed. 4 feels like it's got a ton of ambition, but just falls flat because of its tiny budget and the fact that it had to rely... it relies so heavily on kind of flashbacks and mm-hmm. uh, it just feels like it was always meant to be more than it was, which I know now by reading a little bit about the pre-production of Phantasm Four that it was very much meant to be more. I kind of could um, say that about the whole franchise though. It's meant to yeah. be more. It was meant and to I, be more and bigger. I do like that in five, we finally idea. got to see some of that stuff um, come to fruition. And also it, gives the whole entirety of the series some context and the, exactly what you were just talking about Sarah and that's like putting forth the idea into your head that that there's all kinds of different realities kind of layered on top of one another here mm-hmm. and that's why I mean it, it, it from a like writer's standpoint it's a great way to kind of like a, a, I, don't, I wouldn't call it a cop out I guess but kind of fill in the gaps of well my continuity in the past doesn't make a whole lot of sense so it's retconning without retconning <laughs> Well, right. it has exactly. to, because right. when you think about the first one, Reggie died. He yeah. was stabbed. You know what I mean? Yep. So that was some I mean, of the, the, the first movie either. does it to us at the end anyway. I mean, that they, mm-hmm. they kind of, you know, pull the whole, well, you know, Jody died oh, in a car right. crash, and all this mm-hmm. stuff is just Mike dealing with, you know, his brother being dead. And then, obviously, because of, of the way the movie ends, we, we, you know, we believe Mike again at the end of it. But... Um, but it doesn't resolve anything that happened, right? Because right. there's that big thing of like Reggie telling him around the fire in the first movie, no, Jody died in a car accident. I'm going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Now, for some reason, let's go away. You know, which is an odd thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, there's the big twist at the end, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's still going on. But that doesn't resolve the whole thing that I just talked about with Reggie. And it's not until you get into four and right. five that you start seeing, oh, yeah, we're talking about possibly multiple dimensions and multiple timelines yeah. and multiple realities and maybe that's what the tall man well, is is a being then, that can travel well he said that dimensions. he's like there's like tens of thousands of me and you just knock me out here's another one and i'm just like yeah. great well that's a fantastic <laughs> like a moment ricks you know yeah that's a fantastic <laughs> moment in phantasm 4 when they blow him to hell and and you know they have this moment of victory and then all of a sudden another tall man just walks through the forks like there he is again. <laughs> like, um, I, th- I think that was a pretty surprising moment. We we obviously know that he keeps coming back, but like just that instant regeneration, kind of like, oh, there's bunches of these guys, and they've copied you know Morningside's <laughs> form, and they just spit them back out after you know. Um, exactly. So yeah, yeah, it's um, well. See, and that's maybe four is an I interesting movie with a lot of ambition, and, and I think I, I four pulls a... some some wool uh, you know from over your eyes and and it actually goes with the narrative like i think i feel like it goes with the narrative that in base reality whatever we decide base reality is you get to either pick this whole thing's a delusion whether it's mike's delusion reggie's delusion um even jody's delusion i suppose you could make the case but uh you either have to pick it's a delusion or you have to pick it's you know it's digressed to the apocalypse that we see in um, Ravager, but it seems like Four decides to go with the Jody died in a car accident line is base reality, so that's actually what happened. Um, well, Jody in one reality replaced. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and I think that's what and, Five. And I, I read it as yeah, exactly is yeah. that because in towards the 
And I mean, I don't know. Do you... Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, oh yeah, you have feel free one... to. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> but like, to just get on with that, Reggie, he's got one where you know Mike and Jody are picking him up, right? And he's going mm-hmm. down the road. There's another, you know, post-apocalypse. They're gonna fight it out together. There's another one where he's old and he's dying of dementia. Yep. And so you know what I mean. So yeah. I actually think that that ending kind of turned me around on ravager during ravager i had a whole like wave of like i love this movie i hate this movie i love this movie i hate this movie like um and when it ended i was like i really don't like the way that ended but it was really beautiful at the same like it was just like really like wonderful the duality between the two so they're all three back together heading out to fight you know um this yeah. is just prior to the post credit or the credit scene where you know mm-hmm. Chunk yeah. and Rocky end up throwing coming back into the mix, but um, you know heading out to fight the tall man in, in one version of this reality, maybe it's his dementia or whatever, and then him you know slowly you know passing in the the other version of reality, and the fact that for a minute there it didn't really matter which one was true, like that was his finding peace either way, like it was. It was. So there was something even kind when of like. He's faced with the option, you know, when the tall mm-hmm. man says, Who are you going to pick? I'll give you your family. And he's like, No, I'm with. I'm looking for my friends. Mm-hmm. Either yeah. way, he's winning. Right. I like that. Yeah. Well, and uh, I think, that's I think why moments I like... like that is what makes Phantasm. Maybe this is exactly what you're going to say. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But um, no, no. makes this series so, I don't know, a little bit I don't know, more cerebral or like a step above some of the other fair that it could be compared to, you know, eighty long-running 80s horror franchises, um, is moments like that. Like, that's a very, like, high concept and also a very beautiful ending to the, the yeah. whole thing. Like, if it really I kind of wish the cool the cool scene with... You know, I, I like that, you know, Chunk and Rocky all of a sudden are resurrected or come, jump back out of the... Um, all the forks, yeah. ...dimension and, and jump in the car, you know, cool... It moves it on, whatever. But I kind of wish they wouldn't have, wouldn't have done that and just let him right off into the sunset. If it's really going to be the last film. But yeah, I think that's I what just... I, I think that's kind of a phantasm thing is that none of these are the last film. Ah, but as he yeah. says in the third one, it's never over. It's never over, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's I guess already if... talk of a sixth. So well, I, and I I welcome it to be honest, and I'm I'm glad I... actually that we did this because it gives me a chance. It gave me a chance and kind of forced me to go through and watch all of these again in order, which like we said, we'd never done before. And I still yep. can't say I can explain everything in it, but I think I have a pretty good handle on. Or I'm starting to get a better handle on like the whole interdimensional thing, and it explains a yep. lot. Um, I, like, I think four is probably was... my favorite because it gives so much of the backstory on the tall man, which makes sense. Like, you have this guy who found interdimensional travel, and you know, I don't want to make the, par- the parallel again, but I'm going to. It's like this is kind of like if if Rick and Morty were a horror franchise. <laughs> Rick and Morty yeah. were a horror franchise. <laughs> Jeb tall, and Mike. Tall, yeah, Jeb and Mike. <laughs> um, I know one thing that I've read a lot about uh, is the idea that the tall man throughout all of this, like his, his attraction to Mike as he was grooming. Mm -hmm. So he, he identified something special in Mike and he was grooming him to be, you know, the next him. Is that the only way that we move on with this franchise without Angus Scrim? Do you think think is Michael Baldwin, does he become 
I does think Mike finally I, I the signs were there. I you think know, it's the only four, appropriate way. Yeah, and four when he you know has a suit waiting for him, and even Reggie has like a nightmare mm-hmm. where he thinks it's a tall man behind him, but nope, it's because I, I I don't want to see them dispose of Mike the original as the hero of our tale. Like I don't want him to be like you know turned like Luke to the dark side kind I of you know do thing. <laughs> do you but, really? I, do, yeah. I don't. I I I don't. I need I need that link. Like but that's what Reggie's for. Well, yeah. and that makes a cool dynamic. Well, I think that you could maybe have a little bit of both because Reggie could always be holding on to that part. I mean, the tall man's right. always going on about, you know, you're humans, you're just flesh and Zach, and he doesn't have the best opinion of humans. <laughs> no, right. yeah. But he could be holding on to that human part of Mike. And, I mean... I just bad I just need to know after thirty years and so <laughs> many nightmares what the hell he is. Like I I know like a lot of people don't like that and they're like I don't want a backstory. But I mean and you know what? And it's I, one of the charms of the character, yeah. Uh, you know what and I get that, but I think I'm old. I think <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> I would guess, unfortunately, now that Angus Scrim is no longer with us, that we won't ever see something like that. I don't think we'll see. I, I, I have a hypothesis. I mean, who knows if... if... That, that I, I, what I think is, so when he's talking about grooming Mike, and you're like, what is he? Mm-hmm. I think so there's two ways that this could go. Um, you know, in 4, we see the tall man walk through the, the, the interdimensional forks as Jedediah. Morningside, and he comes out the tall man, right? Yep. And I've heard one interpretation. I've heard or read that is he went through those portals so many times that it corrupted his brain and made him evil. I tend to actually think maybe more when he went through one time. You're going into yeah. the interdimensional void. Who knows what's in there? Something replaced him, kind of like you know Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black. So oh no, totally. I totally. Organism is wearing. But what replaced him? It is some interdimensional. Yeah. I absolutely that's, agree with that's with the going, latter. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. going on interdimensional conquest, not just yeah. world domination, interdimensional domination. And he sees in Mike a resistance and a, a thrive, and there's some kind of a connection. Well, Maybe because and there's Mike something circular it to it that, because the tall man, whatever he is. Jebediah Morningside walks through that gate. I think that's the end of him. Something takes him right. over and comes back. Yeah. He uses him as a vessel to come back into our world. And the, what's the first thing he sees? Mike. Yes. <laughs> like standing there looking at him. Right. So I think that actually explains his attraction to Mike, whatever Mike is. Like there's a circular yeah. like thing within the, them being intertwined with one another. It's his first exposure. And probably when he sees him again... Phantasm one is why he's so drawn to like that's why he's creeping on this kid mm-hmm. and interested in this kid because he's like whoa that's the guy <laughs> mm-hmm. like, well and if, and if he could have if he could have taken over mike which is what i think he's trying to do is take him over right. if he could have mm-hmm. taken over mike at a younger age that would have given him a better host perhaps well, who knows yeah. but yeah. i'd like to also point out that i don't I'd also like answers just as a fan as to why he toys with Reggie so much. He makes a line Mm -hmm. in Oblivion that, you know, poor man's, you know, your misery gives me joy. But I wonder if there's really something deeper there that we really haven't 
heard of or found a connection to. Because, I mean, it's clear that in 4, for example, he's, you know, Mike's driving to Hearst and he's just there in the Hearst. And when he leaves the hearse, is he goes through one of the forks in the right. freaking hearse. So at any point when Reggie's sleeping on the couch or trying to, I don't know, sleep with one of the women he's picked up on the side of the road for like the in fourth or fifth time. every fucking movie. Exactly. <laughs> he picked up the lady who obviously has like sentinels hey, for boobs or whatever that yeah. is. You know, he keeps... Whatever. He never really gets wise to the fact that you know, every woman that's interested in Reggie is going to end up being a vessel of the tall man or, you know. Well, well, well and yeah. the other disturbing aspect of that, too, is because he usually does sleep with one of these women and then later finds out that they're the tall man. Maybe he's like, well, as long as I get past the first step, whatever. You know? <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully not. Right. But Jesus well, then why does he not just take Reggie out? Like, if you really want Mike that bad and you're trying to do all of this, Reggie is not going to stop. Like, this is a relentless thing. So I have yeah. to wonder if there's something to Reggie, too. Hey, there has to be some curiosity yeah. about human nature in him, I, mm-hmm. I think. And I think that leads us to the scene in Ravager where he offers him his family back. I think the mm-hmm. tall man's being honest. I think he wants to see whether he'll give it to him or not. I don't know, but or he even has the power to give it to him. But I think he wants to see who he's going to side with. Like, he's going to offer him this ideal life. And I think he's kind of fascinated by Reggie's convictions or dedication, Just loyalty tenacity, to the, yeah. to those. Right. Now, Eric, like, remind yeah. me, because you just saw it. Like, did you take that, though? Because when he's make, when um, the tall man's making that offer to Reggie... He's he says where am I? It's not where when. It's nineteen seventy nine. So was he basically going to put him in a a point in time in this whole interdimensional thing where he's back in nineteen seventy nine? But technically he's gonna get screwed again because the tall yeah. man's just gonna rip the I mean, down and, I and murder to everyone know exactly again. Exactly <laughs> what he would what he was going to do or what he was thinking, um, what his end game was, but. I think what he was saying when he offered Reggie is, I think mm-hmm. he was going to put him back into his life. You remember at the beginning of Phantasm 2, Reggie has a family. He's got a wife mm-hmm. and some kids. I think maybe only one kid, but um, mm-hmm. and he has a house and he has right. kind of this idyllic kind of life. Which and is an that's all taken house from him. For like an ice cream they... man, I just want to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's pulling down some. Uh, maybe he's gotten into something else. Man. Yeah, I don't know. Like but vacation uh, house, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and that's all taken away from him. I think the tall man's offering him that back just to kind of test him and see, like, would you, would you take this back, or are you that dedicated to your friends and the, you know, your idea of right and wrong and your loyalty is, you know, is that, are your convictions stronger than your, you know, love mm-hmm. for? Mm-hmm your family which i wonder if yeah i I find a little i find i always found that a little weird about reggie's character is that he had this family that was blown up (laughs) in a house like very um very huge tragedy right and he never seems to talk about or do any like he kind of like screams in one scene and that's it you never really hear about him again Um, yeah but he's real quick to pick up random women on the side of the road and try to get them in mm -hmm. bed but, yeah, you know, so I, I, I I'm still siding with the, the fact reason, that Reggie's kind of a creep. But anyway, well, well I was kind of wondered if the reason that the tall man doesn't just kill Reggie right out is because he knows that if he kills Reggie, there's no way Mike is going to side with another. Yeah, you know, you know there's no way that that he's going to do that. It, it would just strictly I... be. You know, it might that would that because he keeps trying to lure Mike in at first. It's force, 
And then after that, by like the third movie and fourth movie, he's trying to reason with Mike. And there's a line in Ravager when he's when he's talking to Reggie, that line you were talking about, that scene, that also stuck with me, and that's he's talking about this will be better for everybody, and my plan will make everything better for everyone. So now we're starting to finally get to a, a, a little glimmer of motivation. I have no idea what that motivation is. This is like a Thanos motivation. Like, trust me, mm-hmm. everything yeah. will be better if right. we just, you know, do it yeah. my way. I, I can't really tell. I don't really know. So that's It was the that... first time the tall man revealed himself as a moral character. I mean, what, what I mean when I say that is not, like, good or bad, but he's got a set of something. Like, he's got a goal. Um he's trying to accomplish something that obviously his character believes is the right thing to yeah. do, which is kind of different than I think I ever saw him. Uh, I agree prior, with that. Cause I just saw that. him as like this cold killing machine, almost like a virus, you know, yep. he's mm-hmm. just doing what he does to just take over. There is no plan. This is just what he does. Yeah. He's just, mm-hmm. and then I have to wonder if this is an interdimensional being that's, is, is he doing this in other dimensions? Apparently so, in some yeah. form or another. So well, I think it decisively says that he's in charge of whatever it is. He's in charge of something. I think I always kind of saw the tall man as an agent of some other intelligence. Like, he was the one working the other realms, bringing all the bodies in. Um, mm-hmm. And that there was something bigger, bigger going on. And... I don't think that that's the case. I think that feeling or of mine or idea of mine was incorrect. I think in Ravager we see that he is the mastermind. Mm-hmm. Now that Uh-oh. is a concept. Tall man five four eight, please report to duty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> going. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and then there's there's infinite numbers of him, you know, and so like it's yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's some kind of hive mind, hive intelligence type well, so creature I, I, that. All of the, you know, spheres and all of the tall mans and all of the lavender ladies, which we never even mentioned, and all mm. of the, um, everything you see is kind of one part of the big consciousness. Who knows? But. Well, and I kind of want to switch gears a little bit here right before we wrap things up and kind of talk about... Yeah, we're actually the, kind of pushing time yeah, here, so... The, the legacy of the Phantasm franchise. I mean, there, there's yeah, actually been a number of things recently, um that's kind of showed that the inspiration of this film or this franchise, mostly the first film on uh, a number of other pieces of work, you know, like bring up when JJ Abrams re started relaunching star Wars, the character of captain Phasma in the Chrome mm-hmm. suit is he, he said is directly in, inspired and a, and a, more than just a nod to phantasm. And I think the latest Blu-ray edition that has the, the really cleaned up really nice transfer J.J. Uh, yeah. Abrams actually helped get going oh, after, yeah, after it, it the was, launch yeah. of, of uh, Force It was pretty Awakens. straight up donated, I believe, because he's a, a, a big fan of the film. And he actually called, he was doing something, hosting a film festival, something he does annually. I don't know which film festival he's on, like the board of, but he called Don Coscarelli or got in touch with Don Coscarelli to get a print of Phantasm because it's one of his favorite films and he wanted to show it. And Don Coscarelli said, well, I don't have one. Not that's in showable quality. Um, so hmm. pretty much instantly, J.J. Abrams said, okay, well, get your, you know, get what you have, you know, your old negative, your work prints, whatever your, whatever the best copy is, and, and bring it over to our studios, and we're going to, we're going to make a good copy of this. So, um, yeah, so J.J. is um, pretty much solely to credit for 
us getting this Phantasm remastered, which is incredible mm-hmm. looking, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, it really I've never is. seen the movie. Uh, I saw the movie, I think, four times prior to seeing the remastered version, and just the remastered one looks incredible. So it's it's kind of almost like um, we were talking on our werewolf episode about the movie The Howling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has moments in it that are that night and day difference as mm-hmm. if you've seen, you know, the original like dark version of The Howling versus when they cleaned that up and remastered it. This is something too where even in, in preparing to do this episode, I chat with some people about you know upcoming episodes and the podcast. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I hear you guys keep saying you're going to do, do Phantasm. I was, I've never seen any of those. In oh. fact, I don't even know if I've heard of them. And I'm like, oh, oh we man. need to change that because yeah. And then I, we'll, then I we'll do have a couple of beers into... and see if we can figure out what the fuck was going on with them. But yeah, you know. yeah. I do run into a lot of people that have seen Phantasm and enjoy it, but then they're like, oh yeah, all the sequels are terrible. And I don't think that's the sequels are not as good as the original, but that is and more often than not the case, terrible, right? Like, and they call themselves fans, P H A N S. Isn't that I don't, officially I don't know though, if... like the band yeah. fans? Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> let's say it's anyway. a phantasm thing because that's a lot cooler so okay i like that <laughs> um anyway uh yeah i i people don't for people i've talked to like no in person i don't think appreciate the sequels as much i do have one friend and i i, I meant to give a shout out to my friend brad renzi who um I wanted to participate in this discussion tonight, but we just couldn't get it uh, together. Um, so hopefully he's out there listening and probably vehemently disagreeing with me on everything. This is cl- easily one of the most cerebral horror franchises out there. This is really the thinking man's horror, 80s horror franchise, right? I would I would yeah. think so. Right. I, I would have to really agree with you there. By the way, Forgotten Franchise was the name of the show, so oh, I finally didn't remember yeah. that we were going to call these Forgotten Franchise shows. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're, we're an hour and some minutes into the show, and I finally got it. But um, Forgotten Franchise. So. Yeah. But, you know, and yeah, I think, as, like, as a franchise, yeah, I think Phantasm is just well he's and, certainly and, the most cerebral of those and the fact that he's you know coscarelli's been involved in every one of them he's yep. you know he continued this is his story well, and he, he's continuing it and the fact that he's still using stock footage not stock footage <laughs> but like cutting room floor footage in the later sequels from the first movie gives it such i mentioned this before but it gives it such a cohesiveness that mm-hmm. it's it's unprecedented in any horror franchise well, I so think he being, could be the only one that could make these movies. Because we're literally <laughs> walking through his nightmare. Exactly. Right. And it's really an incredible feat. I mean, I can't say I like every one of the movies, but then again, I also kind of view these, because yeah. of how cohesive they are, it's almost like saying, what's your favorite Lord of the Rings? It's like, well, it's really one big movie, you know? Well, here's what I'm going to say about Phantasm as a series, and maybe that's how we should like kind of wrap this up, is kind of each take a, a moment. Um and I'll, I'll be brief, and that is that this series versus um, others, I think, has, like you said, a cohesiveness. Each one of these films builds something onto the mythos and reveals a little bit more to you that makes you a little more curious about what's going on and kind of drives you into the next movie. Must have been insane for people that actually watched them when they weren't, you know, all out. The only one that's come out since I've actually even seen Phantasm has been Ravager. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I didn't have you know i I imagine it was very frustrating for people waiting for more um ravager does kind of 
tie up a lot of it, but it leaves it, it open-ended that I, I would gladly welcome more. The one thing I would say is, although you mentioned you didn't you know necessarily like all of the films, and although not all of them are my favorite, and not all of them do I feel like they live up to the quality of the original, I compare it to something like, you know, bad episodes of your favorite TV show. So in my case, like, Doctor Who stories that aren't as great as others, but you know what, they're still part of your favorite TV show, right? So exactly. it's like... Um, each one of these movies brings something that's kind of unique, and, and each one of them, I would say, I am I am still a fan of, and uh, would watch again. There, even if you know it's not you know quote unquote my favorite movie ever, they're still phantasm movies. I still love the mythos, I love the characters, and um, yeah, so I'm on board to watch any of these pretty much any time. So. What about you, Sarah? What's like your? Do you have like a favorite segment? I wouldn't say three is my favorite. I would say the first one. Mm -hmm. And really, a lot of the stock footage that's been used in a lot of the other ones, and I know that sounds weird, the whole <laughs> scene with um, the tall man up in the tree, mm. and he's, you know, having that oh, whole yeah. conversation with Mike, it's... Cut me down. <laughs> <laughs> she jumped, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That yeah, no, not, that's that cool. <laughs> I did jump. That is the second time Eric done that in like ten years. I think years. the first time yes, was moments after we had finished watching this movie the first time. By the way, but yeah. it was. It was. You said, "Boy, oh my gosh." Anyway, <laughs> I, was, I did jump, but I, I personally, it's really hard for me to say. Like, I really like this film over this film over this film lately. Because now that I've sat through and I've watched one through five, there's elements that I put together from all of them that I really, really love. And it tells all one story. For as the second one not being up there for me, I still do think it did add some things to the myth. Because I think that's one of the first times when you get the really big kill scene with the the embalming thing stabbed mm -hmm. in his neck and I mean he mm -hmm. lights the whole thing on fire I mean how that's one of the most epic one of one of the first epic killing scenes of the tall man and he just steps through you know what I mean <laughs> and so I mean all in all I would say if you haven't seen Phantasm it's definitely one to check out you won't be bored um sit back with that beer and just if you figure it out let me know i've been watching it since <laughs> i'm a kid and i'm still searching for answers and if there is talk of another one a sixth one i i really welcome it i would love to just see i just like to see it continued yeah yeah i think there's still more story to tell here too and, and i would agree i would agree. I, I think four is my favorite segment because i you're right i do like that backstory stuff and that's the first glimmer you get of who he is and that's really one of the big things but it doesn't answer all of the questions ravager doesn't answer all of the questions um it, it sometimes creates more in some aspects but yeah I, I would totally agree i would at least recommend that people sit through the first one if you, you sit to. through the first one and you like it then maybe you'll like so, the sequels let's say so the first one is an all-time greatest movie in my opinion but yeah yeah sorry. but if if you if if you don't dig the first one you're not going to like any of the others if you like the yeah. first one you may still not like the others that may be enough story for you but for those that really want to go down this 
rabbit hole that Coscarelli has, has dug. It gets weird, but in a really intriguing way. He's trying to be like, I've got a really weird idea, and come along. But no, I, I think that this is what, I think Coscarelli really, uh, he, he's, he's crafting a story here that is, it's continually intriguing. It, you're right, you never get bored. It's, there's always some really interesting aspect that's moving the mythos along in every one of these movies. I kind of feel like you have the first movie, which is great. The second one, it kind of went off the rails because of the whole production issues. Third movie was trying to get it back on track, and it did. And then four and five actually really, the budget issues, are really the ones that change the mythos the most, in my opinion, are four and five. Yes, I agree. But, uh, so... So I guess uh, overall, I mean, we're we're all just here gushing about Phantasm, so there's no point in doing a rating yeah. system this time. No, but. no, and and I don't think on these franchise episodes we need to worry about ratings necessarily, because yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you should check them out if and yeah, check them out in order, and you know, as long as uh, you feel compelled to keep watching, you know, keep watching. <laughs> yeah, and, and I challenge somebody. We keep saying watching them in order over a relatively short period of time, like a week or two. It really helps. But yeah. That is my strongest advice, yeah. so you can keep track of what you just saw. Well, I think we've successfully done this. We've successfully reviewed the Phantasm franchise, and I can't think yeah. of a better group of people to do this with. Thank you, Sarah, so much for Thank agreeing you for to you for doing this. step out of the Hopefully. comfort zone and... Hopefully it was fun. It was a ton <laughs> of fun. It was cool. an easy movie to start out geeking out about. It was pretty it, it cool. Is, it is. So, oh, we still have some other things uh, coming down the lane on the Video Junkyard podcast. Um, gosh, I think we we still have the Exorcist films that we're going to be doing very soon. Um, yeah, I think in that's this actually house, going to in be... In this Catholic house, you're going to review as... the Exorcist films? <laughs> Well, as you're them. as you're hearing this today, the we will start our Exorcist two part series next week. I believe that's right. Oh, that's right. Well, but, I guess uh, again, coffee shop you go. Well, yeah, we'll have to talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> so we got that, and then um, yeah, we also have our Halloween special that will be coming up later in October as well. We're going to be picking some uh, a little bit more off the wall Halloween favorites, Halloween theme favorites, which there's no shortage, but we'll have to keep everybody yes. guessing on which ones. And feel free just to jump on the Facebook page or send us something at Twitter. Uh, have you seen the, fran the the Phantasm franchise? What are your opinions of it? Do you, as usual, do you disagree, agree, uh, have no opinion, but want to just say, yeah, I've seen them, feel free to uh, comment. Uh, we want to know what you think. Uh, do you have a favorite Phantasm film, or do you have your own hypothesis or theory on what the hell this series is even about, or do you think we uh, got as close as anybody can get, which is unlikely. <laughs> yeah, if you just want to sh shoot the shit with us in general about movies and everything else in the world, uh, please join our Facebook group, the Video Junkyard Podcast Facebook group. And, um, yeah, we kind of talk about things that we talk about on the show and then much, much more on the Facebook group. So uh, if you want to get involved in the conversation, those are many ways you can, and we'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, I want to thank everybody for listening once again. And, again, I want to thank you, Sarah, for thank you so doing much the show. For yes, me. thank you. And we, this is uh, Joe Peterson, as usual, and along with me, Eric Sarah. Obranson. And, and Sarah Peterson. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Thanks. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. 
stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast. All one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. <laughs>